Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 again. We were there last week. That was our beginning text. And our subject is Fools for Christ. I did not coordinate this title with this day. You know, this is April Fool's Day, April 1st. But we don't do that. And so I want to make that clear that that was not part of the reason for this message. Our subject is Fools for Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, which we'll come back to shortly, he says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. It doesn't take one long to read in the Bible things like this, and especially in 1 Corinthians, how God does not view the wisdom of this world, the designs, the ways, the thoughts, the exercises of this world with any applaud. In fact, he says, if you are wise in this world, you need to become a fool in order that you may be wise, and that's not easy to understand, but it's very simple. There's a great contrast between the way God wants a man to live and the way the world lives. The world trains all of its subjects to live in a certain specified way. It's acceptable. It's what people do. It's the real world and the real life. I mean, this is how ordinary, normal people live. You just live this way. And you accept its ways and its demands. Yet God comes along when you get saved, when your eyes are opened, and you see things you've never seen before, and it's a contrast. The world said, this is the way you do it, and God says, no, this is the way you do it. And you're caught there where you need what the Bible calls courage, because you've got to make a decision. You can't continue the world's way and at the same time go God's way. And if you go God's way, you can't go the world's way. You've got to make a decision. You can't have them both. And the Bible says a lot about that. We'll show you a couple things in just a moment. The dictionary defines fool, because we're said to be fools for Christ. The dictionary defines a fool as someone who is silly or worse, stupid or unintelligent or unwise, lacking good judgment. Now, none of us want to be like that. That's not a good thing, but that's the definition of the word. Christian-wise... Spiritually speaking, a fool is one who lives in denial of God. He does not accept God's ways. He abandons that. He has all kinds of reasons and excuses why he does not. That's his wisdom. How could he do? How could he have? How could I ever become if I did things God's way? Well, that doesn't make sense, he says, because of the clash between two worlds, the worlds of darkness and the world of light, the world's way and God's way. And they just don't mesh because they're just in total opposition to each other. And most people in life, thinking of that verse about the narrow way and few there be that find it, most people in this life will abandon God's way when it's going to cost them something they think is dear to them. 
And yet Jesus said, take no thought even for your life. And not many people will ever come to that place because how could that be? Why would God want me to do that? Well, that doesn't make sense. But that's the world's wisdom. That's the way the world thinks, and that's the philosophy of the world. For you to come out of that and be the way God wants you to be is to cause the world to look at you as a fool. Look what you could have had. Look what you could have done. Well, you'll never have. You can. You'll never be. All of that is leveled on us because we don't do it the world's way. The world thinks that we're fools. So we're told in our text that if a man wants to be wise, then he'll have to become a fool. That is, he'll have to do things the way God wants him to do it, the way that the world would consider foolish. Now, God says about the world, I mentioned this a moment ago, God says about the world this. If you want to maintain the ways of this world for the acceptance of people in the world and you don't want to be persecuted and put down and thought evil of, then you'll have to kind of hang around the world and employ some of that and live some of that. And yet, James 4 says, if you are a friend of the world, you become the enemy of God. You are denying the Lord who bought you when you will not live the way he wants you to live. And he won't make you live right. You have to make that choice yourself. He shows you the way you have to walk in it. And so to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. To adhere to the philosophy of the world is to walk in darkness. Was it not Isaiah that said, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. Oh, it seems right because there is a way that seems right. It seems right to those who devise those ways. The inventions of the world seem so right. That's why you're so foolish not to do that. Go that way. And yet, anything other than what God said is darkness. Anything other than what God says as a way of life is death. Now the world says, well, that's not fair, but that's the wisdom of the world in contrast to the plain, clear, simple statements of God. And then another verse he uses was in 1 John chapter 2. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, and the pride of life, who you could be, how people would think of you, all of that. He said, it's all of the world. And the world is the enemy of God because the world lieth in another place in 1 John. The world lieth in wickedness. And you cannot serve both God and man. You'll have to make that decision. And I pray that we have labored here all these years to make that clear to those of you who want to hear it. Because that is the only way that we can live that is right. Now, we ended last week in 1 Corinthians. We said... There's three verses I want you to see to get to my final point, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you'll go there briefly again, verse 18, Paul writes, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, because it doesn't make sense. Are you with me? That just doesn't register with the real world. And yet, how could it register with the person whose thoughts are not in harmony with God? 
Didn't he say in Isaiah 55, the problem with man is your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. God says my ways and thoughts are much higher than yours. You're invited to come up there and learn his ways and think his thoughts. To let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. You're invited. But if it doesn't seem sensible, if it doesn't seem reasonable, if it just doesn't mesh with who you are or who you think you are in this world and what it's going to cost you to go that way, well, I don't know. That's when men in the last days with their itching ears look for somebody of some renowned to tell them different than that. And they'll follow that to destruction. They're spoiled, as Paul wrote in Colossians. He said, men spoil you through its philosophies and its rudiments, its basic elementary teachings. And people like that. Even Isaiah said, you know, they prophesy to me smooth things. Even prophesy illusions. Make up something. Just make it sound good. I mean, this is just a religious service, so make us feel good. We don't want reality because that's the wisdom and the way of the world. And when you set all of that aside for what it is, darkness, and you begin to bring light where there was once darkness, there's very often a war, disappointment in people, and that's too hard, and he's legalistic, and I can't believe, as though the preacher wrote this. And yet all we have to do is proclaim it. God will not make us believe. God will not make us do what he said. He will simply bless us with open eyes to see what he's saying, to hear what he's saying, and to give us an opportunity, at least one more time today, an opportunity to put our hands on that plow that he puts before us, which the world thinks is foolish. Why would you want to live that way when? Why would you want to walk out a headache when you could take two aspirins? It just doesn't make sense. Why would you want to do that? Why would you not want to do this to have this? It just doesn't make sense because that's the way we're all raised. That's the wisdom, the philosophy, and the reasonableness of this world. And God comes along and challenges all of that. That's why very few people will ever break away from the world because they're attached to it and turn to God. And you know what happens to people who do that. But he said, and again in verse 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Let me ask you something. Is there anything the world teaches that can bring you salvation? Then how foolish is the whole bunch of it? It is appointed that man wants to die, and after death is a judgment. You live your life without thinking about that and preparing for that, you're living a fool. But the world doesn't believe you should live your life in preparation for a world to come because in their philosophy, everybody goes to heaven. The great golf course in the sky, the great fishing hole up yonder, the great chess game in heaven, oh, I'll bet they're happy now. Everybody goes to heaven. 
Doesn't matter how you live. Everybody goes to heaven in the philosophy of the world because of this great denial of the uncertainty of that time. And they have to come up with something they feel good about, something they're really scared of. But concerning that, he goes on to say about the wisdom of this world. He said, verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. A man told me one time he didn't need necessarily to go to church and hear sermons, for he thought if he was a good enough man and paid his bills and his taxes and was fair and loved his wife and raised his children well and did right things and good things, he thought he'd go to heaven. I said to him, you've heard the story, I said to him, I said, well, then Jesus Christ was a fool. You don't need him. You've devised your own way to get to heaven. And that is the way the world lives. That is the way the world thinks. They don't need this. They don't need what you think you got. They don't need to hear all of this. They figure if they quit drinking, smoking, cussing, carousing, running around and doing this or that, they'll be all right. They never read the Bible, never heard it, never paid any attention to it, but they have a philosophy. And that's the way they live. That's why they have opinions against us. They don't know what the Bible said. Like a man said once, he said, well, I don't believe the Bible's true. And the man he was talking to said, have you read it? Have you studied it? Have you studied the Hebrew or the Greek? Have you investigated its content to come to that conclusion? Well, no. Well, then how in the world would you know if it's true or not? But see, you don't have to know. You just have to have a belief system. And the world has. The world gives you that. I don't think anybody has a right to tell anybody what to believe. I think everybody's free to believe what they want to. As long as you love the Lord, you love your family, and you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. Well, then you don't need church. You don't even need God. You just need you. You're a little God. You make your own salvation. And the world's full of that, folks. And here we are down here in this little narrow arena that God has put us in. Seems so confining, it seems, to some. And the world laughs at us and mocks at us, and we look somewhat longing at some of the things and freedoms they think they have. You read Psalm 73, and the psalmist said, Lord, it doesn't seem to be fair. They die well, they make a lot of money, they don't help anybody, they're mean, they're ugly, and they're rude, and they die well, and they got a lot. And he said, then I considered their end. Then I considered their end. The man was going to tear down all of his barns. Remember that? He had so much he'd done so well, I'm going to tear down all my barns, and I'm going to build more and have more, and then I'm going to look at what I've done. I, I have done well. Remember what the Lord said to him? Thou fool, you wasted your whole life making you, you. You wasted your whole life puffing up you and people admired you and that was your whole idol in life. That's what you wanted more than anything else. And you got it. And yet when your life is terminated, you're going where all the bad people in the world ever went. You're going to join them. There's a place made just for people who refuse God, rebels in this life. And they're all fools because nothing they gained, nothing they learned, 
nothing they had could save them. You couldn't put anything in their casket that could secure them. They couldn't swallow something that would take them to heaven. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's not a righteous one here. And no man can make himself righteous. All our righteousness, he says, are as filthy rags before God. Because nothing in your philosophy of life, nothing you're doing can save you. If you want to be saved, you're going to have to deny yourself and turn to God. And humble yourself under his mighty hand, on his terms, receive his offering, live his life, you'll be saved. And that just seems, that just seems like it's too much. That just seems overwhelming or too much. Jeremiah said, the wise men are ashamed and they are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of God and what wisdom is in them. Everybody in the world, as I'm speaking now, everybody who rejects the word of God, refuses it, is a fool. Because that's the only thing that can save you. You are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of an uncorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word is eternal. It lasts and goes on and on and on and on forever. Chapter 2. Would you look in chapter 2? In chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech and wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I was not eloquent and clever with words, Paul said. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was one of their big ones. And when God saved him, he turned him from all of that to a life of persecution. Verse 3, he says, I was with you. Notice this. We wouldn't say this, but he did. He said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I am nobody to look up to and admire for my person. I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear, and I was with you in trembling. I'm not extraordinary amongst men. In verse 4, he said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. But what does man want? What does man like? Doesn't man, I know I do, I love to hear an eloquent sermon. Some of the old Baptist masters, payday someday, R.G. Lee. It's amazing that a man could put words together like that and make such a point. As long as I don't get entertained by it and I listen to it only to be entertained. There are gifted men. There are men who are gifted with speech. There are men who are gifted with the ability to impart what they're thinking in a way that you get it and you're stirred or inspired by it. Paul said, I didn't come to you with that. I came to you with only one thing, the only thing that God will ever use to change us or save us, I came to you with that. I didn't add anything to it. I didn't put on a show with it. 
I didn't try to make myself really good at it. I just brought you the word. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing, flattering, eloquent words of man's wisdom. So you'd go, wow, wasn't that good? He, oh, boy, I like the way he preached. He said it was just in demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. And in spite of my weakness, my bodily stature, or my maybe crude speech or inability to speak well, he said God took those words that people didn't admire, and for those who received them, he saved them. Halting. That's why it doesn't matter who you are when God wants to use you. You don't have to be gifted. You have to be anointed. You don't have to be smart. I can prove that. You don't have to be smart and intelligent. You have to be willing and you have to be anointed. God chooses people like that. He said in chapter 1, the base and the despised and the foolish... Those who are not considered wise in this world, God chooses them because he can. It's easy for some people to go from whatever they were to what God wants. They don't have it. This not all bundled up with the world's ways. Maybe that's why I got saved. Now it's clear. I see where we're going now. It's, wow. Never go back. Wow, look where we're going. But you won't get there because I come in here with some cool way of saying something, calling y'all dudes, trying to, you know, be like the world. Isn't that what you do when you do that? Aren't we trying to be upbeat? Where'd that come from? It's the world's way of being cool. You ain't get towel off, quit shaving your face, quit combing your hair, put some flip-flops on, and be cool. So the world said, yeah, man, that's the world. It's aggravating because so many people follow it. Children watch the stupidity on TV, all the stuff that they see, the way people are dressed and the way people act, and they assume that's what they're supposed to do when they get that age. It's the world. And when you bring them in here after they've learned that, it is very hard for them to take this and leave that. Not many of them do. We haven't kept all of our youngsters. We've kept a bunch of them. The world is, has a grip. And when you come in just preaching the word of God, you go to some country, just remember, all you have to do is say what God anoints. God watches over his word to perform it. That's all you've got to do is speak the word. Well, should I tell them? You mean, should you tell them the truth? Well, do you think God will use falsehood to do whatever he needs done? Why don't you lie to him? God will use a lie. No. He says, speak the truth. And yet, before we speak the truth, our mind says, well, no, wait a minute. Wait, time out. They, they might not be ready for this. Well, then why am I here? You speak what's in your heart. Don't be afraid of their look on their faces. Remember that in the Bible, whether in season or out of season? What do you say? Preach what? Preach the word. That's what Paul said. I may never forget that one single night in my life where coming back from a trip that night to a Baptist youth rally up in Deputy, Indiana. 
Some kids got saved that night, and I spoke, and it was one of the more difficult times I can remember as far as stuttering. And ability to get, and then some kids snickered and laughed, and you know, that only makes you more tense. They wouldn't do that in the classroom, but I'd swat them. But I went home that night ready to quit, wanting to quit because I'm not good enough. I can't speak. I know what to say, but I cannot pronounce the words. They just won't come out. I can see it coming, and I know what I'm going to say is coming up. I hope when it gets there, I can say it real fast and get it out. And yet, people think you're afflicted. <laughs> you sell, but it is funny now. You know, I went home that night and sat in a dark room, 230 Millview Circles, Sellersburg, Indiana. It was dark. My Bible was before me closed. I couldn't see anything. I was crying, weeping. Can you imagine? You know, because of my inferiority to other people, because of my insecurity of thinking that I was unaccepted now, because I was just so bad at what I'm doing. And I said, Lord, if there's ever a time in my life that I get to do this, let me do it now. I want to open my Bible and put my finger on a verse of Scripture. Pray that it's not... Uh, get your house in order. But if I can put my finger on a verse of Scripture and you speak to me, and I was so broken at the time, I said, I want you to do it. And I opened that Bible was in the dark, didn't know where I was in the Bible, put my finger on it, turned on a little red lamp on top of a roll-top desk, and it was in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man. And I sat there overwhelmed. I thought, that's exactly what I needed. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man, but in demonstration power of spirit. God could take somebody like me and do what he does. I don't know how he does it. People would come back to these meetings. People would keep coming. And I think, why are they coming? Because I was not seeing myself as somebody special. I was never special, never, ever special. But they kept coming back because, as they said, I'm learning something and stuff like that. And I said, are you really? And I believe this is true. As long as you can keep yourself in perspective with God and who he is and not try to be somebody you think you are, but just be who he called you to be, you'll be all right. Because God uses people to save people and when God saves people by special means, and you have to keep special means going to keep people saved, as they would call it. But, oh, thank you, Lord. Let's go on in chapter 2 here in verse 6. Oh, I could preach on chapter 5 for a long time, but go to verse 6. How be it, Paul said, we speak wisdom, the wisdom of God among those that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord his glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear 
heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, verse 9 that I just read relates back to verse 7, the mystery of God. I believe that it is perhaps saying there, we proclaim the divine wisdom hidden in a mystery. That the wisdom that we are proclaiming to you is not the ways of this world and the clever ways of manipulating, coursing through this world. We are taking something that man cannot know naturally. That man by searching cannot find out. Remember God said in Jeremiah that you cannot by searching find me. Only by revelation can God reveal who he is. You can never know what God means in the Bible or what God says except by revelation. Only God can show it. And as as long as it's not shown, then whatever you're saying is a mystery. I don't get it. That's why he said in verse 14 of this same chapter, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. He can't. He can't connect with anything spiritual because he only has a natural mind that is geared to natural understanding. And so he's bored with messages. He's bored with church. He wearies after 20 minutes of sitting there because he doesn't have a life or a heart for it. He can't receive it. It just doesn't work for him. Mystery is something that is concealed from the minds of people. It's not known. It cannot be known. You cannot study a mystery. It has to be revealed by God. And it never, ever comes by the wisdom of this world, the educational systems, or the educated princes of this world, as he referred to back in verse 6. It only comes by revelation from God. Very Few people will ever find it because very few people will ever want it. Now, you should thank God this morning that you want it, if you want it, because it is God who gave you that, and it's God who will lead you into an understanding of it. He said, we proclaim the wisdom of God in a mystery. The world didn't know it. The devil didn't know anything about it, but God showed it to us. And he said again down there in that 12th verse, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us by God. The things which we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But again, the natural man can't understand that. That's why he hears something like what we're saying today, and he thinks, well, that's foolish. Or as they use the word, well, that's crazy. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, why would anybody want to do that? You hear that kind of reasoning, especially with arguments about politics or about marriage. Well, that doesn't make sense. Why would she do that? Why would she want to submit to a man that act like that? Well, if I, a man said something like that to me, I'd tell you what I'd say to him. If she did that to me, I'd tell you what I'd do. Where did you gain that wisdom See, wisdom is what you do, knowing what to do, the plans you make about what you're going to do. Knowledge is what you have right now. Wisdom is what you're going to do. Where do you get the wisdom of this world? From the world. People you talk to, the educational system, your parents, your friends, TV, movies, magazines. 
Whatever you investigate in this world, that's why you learn the ways of the world, the attitude of the world. You know, the world says, you know, okay, turn the other cheek, but it doesn't say what to do after they smite you on the one cheek. I'll tell you what I'd do. That's the wisdom of the world. It'll keep you out of God's kingdom. The wisdom will. And so this thing gets really, really narrow the more you look at it, not trying to make it that way, but in chapter 3, Again, in verse 18 and 19, where we started, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool. Let him become a fool so that he can, in the eyes of God, be wise. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Folks, as we're living this new way that God has for us, the world views us as fools. They think we're fools because, in effect, we are giving up a way of life that you only have a moment to live, a life that there's a certain age in which you can't really enjoy what you used to enjoy the way you used to enjoy it, and they think you're foolish for giving up the best years of your life to live in a way that they're not impressed with. They've seen a thousand Christians come, a thousand Christians go. They're not interested in any of them. And yet God has hidden stuff from people's eyes. They can't see the deeper meaning in the word. They can't understand the cross and peace and joy. Those are just words. But for us, they're life. Now, what is it then in this life that is called foolish? What is it that the world keys in on to call us foolish? What is the one simple, single, if there is such a thing, what is it about us that the world, what is the demonstration of our lives that makes the world draw back and say they are fools? What is it about the Christian life that causes people to think that way? There's more than one verse, but one specific verse or one specific passage in Proverbs chapter 3 If you'll turn there, you've been there many times. I pray you have. Proverbs chapter 3. This one single principle. It's not a law. It's not a rule. It is a principle. By principle, I mean a governing way of life. A way a life should be governed. A principle. It is a governing way of life. Proverbs 3. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Simple. Trust in the Lord. Does your Bible say trust? Trust in the Lord. How? With all your heart. The heart is the very core of your life. That's where all your decisions are made. This is the determining aspect of a human life. Is all within the heart. With the heart man believes, or you can have a, a heart an evil heart of unbelief. It's all about the heart. Heart is where choices are. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. By trust, we mean lean on, rely on, adhere to, trust. With all your heart, a determination that this is the simple way I'm going to live. You've never proven it. 
you've never experienced the testimony you have or you will have, you're starting in with just nothing more than a word and an experience of being saved. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. What do people think about you when you say, I'm going to trust the Lord? Well, they say when you say, oh, I'll just, I'll trust the Lord with that. I'll just trust the Lord. Many times, if it's a little thing, well, okay. But if it's something big, if it's something to do with illness or sickness or worse, and you say, I'll just trust the Lord, they will often say, this is serious. That Christianity is for non-serious moments, non-serious. This is serious, man. You could die. This could be fatal. This could cost you everything. You're going to just trust the Lord that when you go into court or when you go into the uh, schools, wherever it is you're, you have to deal with something, you're just going to go in there and trust the Lord and you're not going to lay plans to get something else or do something else just in case? No. You're crazy. They could sue you for everything you've got. They could take this, take that. They could do you in all the way around. And then what do you got? I don't know where tomorrow's going, that man would say. But I know this, that God is already in all of my tomorrows. And no, he said, no evil shall befall me and no plague will come nigh my dwelling. That's what's making me trust him. Plus the Bible reveals God as the all faithful one. He can be trusted. He never lies. He never changes his mind. He is what he is. And that's printed in my Bible as a reason for me to have faith. I'm not taking a chance trusting God. He said he would. What can he not do? Trust the Lord with all your heart. And what's the next thing he said? Lean not. The word lean not has the idea of propping yourself up. In other words, it's what you're depending on. And do not most people use the wisdom of this world when they go into any kind of crisis or anything that that's what wise people do? You haven't had a physical checkup in how long? Uh, college? You haven't had a physical examination, Hamilton, since you were in college? Well, we had to have it then. It was basketball. You know, you had to go in and get that medical every year. And so far as I know, I haven't had, it's going on 50 years, I guess, since I've had a physical exam. But that's like saying your car's running really good. Let's take it apart and fix it. I say, let's leave it alone. Let's just leave it alone. Let's lean not to our own understanding. And then he said, in all your ways, not half of them, all your ways, acknowledge him. What does that mean? You turn to him. Is this the right way? What should I do? I can't say I'm acknowledging God if I don't know what he said about something. So I turn to God first. What does the Bible say? What does the word say? What am I supposed to do? What pleases you for me in this circumstance for me to do? That's the choice I want to make. Open my eyes. Show me your word. I'll do that. They're going to make a laughing stock out of you. I'll do it. They'll put you in jail. Then that's the price I'm willing to pay for being faithful. 
Well, that's crazy, is it? Let me ask y'all something. Could Paul have kept himself from getting in jail? He sure could have. I mean, there was a time all he had to do was just not demand go see Caesar. They told him, said, you could be out of here. He went ahead and went to jail and finally died. I'm sure he died in jail. He said, man, he's crazy. He could have had so much. He had it so together. He was our leader in the Pharisaical tradition. And then he, he fell off a horse. He must have hurt his head when he fell off that horse going to Damascus or something. Well, he was religious after that. He never changed. Everything he thought he once believed, he put it in denial. He set it aside. And everything he began to believe, they persecuted him all the time for it. Knowing when he went to a place, I'm going to be hammered for this, he did it with a passion. Was he a fool? Was he a fool? He was a fool for Christ, and the world said, you're crazy, Paul. You're a fool. You know why he was a fool? Because he wouldn't do verse 5. Verse 5 says that you're not to think of yourself in some certain specific way. He said, be not wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise. No wonder Paul said, I didn't come to you as some mighty stroke of genius. I didn't come to you as some great and mighty one. He said, I am the least of all apostles. I am the very least. He said, I am not even worthy. And yet God chose the likes of me. And he says, I preach Christ and him crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, more persecution. To the Greeks, this. And he said, I am willing to die for Christ. And in fact, I am dying daily. For this word has cost me, and it costs me every day. You lose friends. You lose parents sometimes. lose your inheritance. You lose a lot of things because of your willingness to be a fool for Christ. So what is this way we're talking about trusting in the Lord, leaning not to your own? What do we call this? We call this faith, the message of faith, the life of faith, the message of faith. This is why we're persecuted. This is why if you live this way, this is why you're misunderstood. Anytime you have to go before the authorities in this world, you're not going before some Christian counselor. You're going before the world's way. And they think when you explain your ways cleverly and with wisdom, wise as serpents, you don't have to tell everything you know, but you tell what's appropriate for your testimony in that circumstance. Do you think the world and the courts of this world agree with you? They don't agree with you. That's why he said, make peace and do what you got to do in the way so you don't get in those circumstances. But if you get there, you are who you are. You believe what you believe. And the world listens to you and they think, this guy's nuts. She's crazy. It's the price you pay because you're willing to take God at his word and not give it up for anything. You know why Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is what? It is impossible to please God. Now, let me ask you a question. Do we all want to please God? We say we do, don't we? And the one single 
specific way we please God, and this hasn't changed, is faith. What is faith? It's counting on God to do what he said. That's it. It's counting on God to do what he said. They don't mind us saying that. That's cute. But when there is sickness involved and you count on God to heal you because he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee, then it becomes an issue. They have never seen God. They don't know God. They don't know what you're talking about. They can't relate to your verse of scripture that you're quoting or the life you've chosen to live. All they can do is view you with the wisdom of this world and they think you're a fool. Well, why wouldn't you go get a one of these or get that or buy one? Why wouldn't you do that? It makes sense to do that. What's wrong with you? And you say in the wisdom that God gives, I know what you're saying and I'm not trying to refute you. All I'm saying is that God has given me a better way. For he has said he will heal, he will deliver, and he will take care of me. And that's what I'm willing to trust him to do and, if necessary, suffer the consequences. Are you like that? Are you all like that yourself? I mean, is that where you are? I wonder if we'll ever have to prove ourselves like that. I wonder if it'll ever come to this. I wonder if that day is approaching all of us in some way or another. That you'll be on the center stage and the world will be looking at you with its curled lip and its hatred and its hope that you get what you deserve. You'll get what you deserve, I guess. You'll go to heaven. But our faith is foolish to the world. It always was. It always will be. Your faith is foolish. It scares the daylights out of people. It scares people. It puts no trust in man. Faith in God is not faith in man. Faith in God ignores circumstances. That's why sometimes you find yourself, you know, you're, you're going to, <coughs> like this or like that. And they say, what's, what's wrong with you? You just say, by stripes I'm healed. And what does the world say? And most Christians, you're not either. You ain't done it. Why? Because you don't look right. You don't sound right. They have no clue what you're talking about. That's why you don't have to give much of a testimony around those kind of people. They don't know what you're doing. When you say, well, by his stripes I'm healed, whose stripes? Where's stripes? Who's painting? Somebody does they don't know what you're talking about. Tell them you're going through a trial. And they say, what's your trial day? They don't know what it is. They can't know. It's hidden. I don't know why I'm yelling. They can't know this. All they can do is look at you like, who has brainwashed you? Tell them it's God who is cleansing your mind. That your brain is being renewed if it is. Jesus said, you deny me before men. Whew, now the pressure really comes on. So you think, oh, Lord. But we don't dread that. I'm talking about why we are fools. Why the world discards us as less than normal. 
why they think we are crazy, why they really don't want to be around you. If they're going on a fishing trip, they hope you're not going. They wouldn't want to be in a place with you where we have to pray before we eat. They just don't like that. Real faith is just scorn sickness. You can look it right in the face and say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Folks say, who are you talking to? I'm talking to spirits of infirmity. Who? So you best not talk like that around people like that because you can't answer all their questions. All they can do is misunderstand you and misquote you. Out there talking to my garden. I don't have one now. But talking to my garden and get caught. Somebody says, what's he doing? He's talking to his garden. What's he saying? He's saying, the Lord bless you. Let's go home. How could they understand that if you explained it? If you, in your best day, with your best form, in slow motion, took the right words and explained to people what you were doing, they still won't get it. They still won't go, oh, good, because they don't know the Lord. They just can't get it and they can't understand it. Real faith denies biological and scientific laws and all of this kind of stuff. It just discards it. You know, when Bonnie and I, we didn't know when we got married, we had different blood types. I'm positive and she's negative. And that's supposed to be a problem after the first child with these well, it's a long word, stuff in the blood system that acts against the fetus. And so in some cases, when the second child is born, there's a chance that they're, they'll turn yellow and then they have maybe have a blood transfusion or this or that. And so it's very, uh, you know, so they want you to take these shots and that kind of prepares you for that. And, and we didn't know you're supposed to keep having babies. So we, you know, after the second or third one, I think, I don't even know what paid attention or not. We had seven of them. I think they're all normal, at least I would think they're. (laughs) We didn't have one with three eyes or three ears or anything like that. Most of them could spell their name when they were six, but. (laughs) They were normal. I was in the third grade, but anyway. Then our, our last two were born at home. Naomi and Rebecca were born at home. And, you know, you can't help the thoughts that are in your mind. Well, what are you going to do if this time the jaundice occurs? And you know what you say after all these years? Just trust the Lord. We'll just trust the Lord. You know, there's a certain way you approach God. It's saying, now, Heavenly Father, you said in your word. Now, you said in your word specifically. Now, I'm going to read it back to you. He already knows it's there, but I'm putting him in remembrance like he told me to. Now, Lord, and this and this, and Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, all I've got is you. I've reduced myself to you. I'm not going here where there's all this. I'm not running over here where I reduce myself to just you. And that's it. And so... Everything turns out well. I'm glad of that. I really am glad of that. 
I have no boast in that except in the Lord, that God is so gracious and so good. But faith will deny natural, biological, or scientific laws. I don't care what the world says this equals this. It doesn't have to equal this. The world says two plus two always equals four. God says two plus two could be a million. When Jesus said, break the loaves and the fishes, natural law says, and yet what happened? They had 12 basketfuls left over from a sack lunch. Natural laws, what about walking on water? Is that natural? Try it. You don't have to go to the lake. Just fill your tub up, stand on it. Just get in there and stand up down on your tub and bounce around the water a little while. It's not natural. It's not normal. It has to do with the equation of mass and so forth. It's just not normal. And yet there's times that God makes it normal. In the Old Testament, an axe head flew off of a handle. Oh, I borrowed that. Oh, no. You know what the prophet did? He said, throw the handle out there. Threw the handle out there, and the axe head went, boom, popped on. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, well, oh, oh, it worked. <laughs> he got his axe back. What's impossible with God? See, we start thinking like this, and the world starts worrying. And I'll tell you a formula. When I'm at rest, the world worries. When I worry, the world's at rest. And the devil wants you to worry. Maybe this time it won't work. Perhaps this time you let it go too long. Uh-oh, this is pretty bad here. And so forth. The faith that God gives appeals to a higher law than anything in the world. Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever... You desire. When you pray, believe that you have received what you're praying for, and you'll get it. And the world says, how could that be? Well, how could the resurrection of a dead man be real? Did that happen? How can it be? They still can't get it because it's not possible. We put a rocket 100 miles above the earth. God's going to put a city 1,500 miles above the earth. How can this be? I don't know. I have no way of telling you how it's going to be except God's going to do it. He's an awesome God. He's bigger than life. It's easy to trust in God if he comes into focus. And you begin to rely on what he's got and what he's promised and not these other things. And when you begin to trust God, all your fears begin to dissipate. Go away. He delivers us from all of our fears. And the more he does, the more the world thinks we're nuts. The world's falling apart and we're smiling. They say, what's wrong with you? And they say, I have, nothing's wrong with me. I'm at peace with God. They don't know how that could be because the world has no peace. The rich and famous have no peace. The wealthiest, most popular people in the world are some of the most unhappy. This seems like you hear all the time in the gossip columns about the drugs that these people are on and how they overdose and how they 
just slowly ruining their lives, dying at 30, 40, or 50. Admired by the world, bought all their songs, watched all their movies, and they died with the devil. What wisdom was in their life? All the things you admire. The kids have put their posters of these great athletes, so-called, on their wall, and they're all lost. What is there to admire in a man who's lost? His money? His money ruined him. Did any of you win the lottery this last week? $640 million? There were three. Were any of them you? All three of them in one church. <laughs> don't bring me your tithe. They said, don't worry. All right. Turn to Romans 4. I want to show you why people think we're fools. This verse says it. Romans Chapter 4 and verse 17, the end of that verse. Romans 4, 17, it says, God calls those things that be not as though they were. What does he mean? Well, he has said a lot of things prophetically. God has decreed or had prophesied a lot of things that were not. Things that became. You know why they became? Because God said they would. Can you do that? Can you call anything that is not yet so? My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I will see it one day or I'll be in the place where the book is. How do you know? Well, I don't know by natural means. I can't prove it by some method. I know because I believe. My belief is like knowledge. It is a knowledge that is gained. It's like seeing it. It's like something that is revealed to you that has not yet happened, but that you know is going to happen. I see it. It's coming. It's coming. I call things that be not as though they are. I say I am healed by the stripes of Jesus when I don't feel healed, when I don't look healed, and I don't sound healed. But I confess I am healed. Uh, my body obviously is not naturally healed, but it will be. People think we're crazy talking like that. Because the world says if it is, it is, and that's the way it is when it is. And you never know about tomorrow. There's no way to know about tomorrow. And yet I got a book that says we can know about tomorrow. We can call the things that are not yet as though they are. I can say a child of mine is saved. I can say a child of mine is delivered and saved and healed or whatever, even though it doesn't look even remotely like that. And they will be. For one reason. Because you have chosen to take God at his word and count on God to do that. And therefore, it's natural to say that. And all oh, these confessions, these confessions, folks, really get us in trouble. Because you go around saying things that you believe. Now, some people think that if you say it, it'll come to pass. That's not the way it works. That's called mental gymnastics. You do not make something true by saying it. But because you believe it's true, you say it. I'm not going to heaven because I keep saying I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because I believe what God said about going to heaven. 
Therefore, I say I'm going to heaven. I'm not trying to get there. I am there. My name is written in that book of life. But it's our confessions. You confess you're healed. You confess you're saved. You confess whatever you're confessing, that you're out of debt. That God's going to give me a home paid for. I had to say that. God's going to give me a new car. I had to say that once. And the people in the church who heard me say that looked at me like, come on, Tom. You don't even have a job. You're talking about owning a house. You don't even have a job. <laughs> How can you have a <laughs> That's crazy. Well, blink your eye and think, this ain't crazy at all, was it? Wasn't crazy at all. It worked. It worked. Not because I had a job. Not because I am clever with my money. It wasn't anything because of that. It just happened because I believed it and God made it happen. Key to life. Trust the Lord. Don't prop yourself up on your wisdom. Humble yourself before God. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct all your steps in your path. And the world says, how can that be? I don't know how. I just know he does. He supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. What do you do with Moses? There's a lot of things that Moses did. The Red Sea, the plagues, the Ten Commandments, 40 days consecutive, 40-day fastings with no water or food. That's impossible. Is it? He didn't come off of that hill all dried up and skinny and falling down needing help. He carried some stones off of that hill. After 80 days, straight days of fasting and no water, no food. Well, that's supernatural. Duh. Of course it is. What about Noah? How hard the world tries to make that not real because it doesn't make sense how a man could build a wooden box so big that you could put all the pairs of animals in the world in it. And they begin to estimate the size of all the animals and how big the box would be. That's not possible. Well, it took him 100 plus years to make that box. So you could get a lot of work done in 100 years. Or God could, as I've said before, God can make it just a regular size box with little bitty animals in it. A little elephant. Come a little zebra. A little hippo. A little, little bird. You could put them all in a matchbox you want to, a little bitty box. Ha, 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 you said, is that too hard for God? Is that unreasonable? It is to the world. God could put the whole world in a box. He puts that there for us to say, praise the Lord. So, and the world goes, I don't know about all that. How about Jericho? What about Jericho? Once a day, walk around the city once a day. Seventh day, walk around it six times. And you go, Whoo, and blow the horns, and the walls fell down flat. Explain that. Well, that's just myth. Is it? Go tell the archaeologists that it's myth. They found part of it. The foolishness of God. What the world says, that's crazy. God's foolishness is wiser than men. 
He takes men in their own craft. And all these wise people down here that are coming up with all this, why the Bible isn't true. Psalm 2, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He takes men in their own craft and their own wisdom. And we're down here just willing to let God be God. David and Goliath, the word. You're telling me that David killed Goliath. Elijah outrunning the king's horses across the plains of Jezreel. Oh, come on. Elijah, he wasn't no young boy. The Bible said he girt himself. Ever how they girt themselves? Maybe they grab the back, pull the thing up and tuck it in so they can run. The sound of rain. Elijah took off run and beat the horses. That ain't possible. It's already too late to say it ain't possible. Because it's already happened. And I don't think he was checking his pulse when he got there. Oh, my, 140. I think he just girded up himself and took off running. Wasn't anything else there to ride, so he just took off running. How do you explain the virgin birth? How do you explain that? How can it be that a virgin... Today, you say, well, whatever that is. But a virgin could have a baby. How can that be? But it did happen that way. Only a few of us are going to believe that when it comes down right down to it. People that say they believe it, I don't know if they really believe it or not. I hope they do. The fishes and the loaves we talk about, walking on water that we spoke of. How is that possible? I don't know. I can't just do it myself. I've already told you, you know, you may not have known it, but we've all tried it. Nobody looking around. You heard that sermon Sunday about miracles and nobody's down at the lake. Shoom, off you went down and you had to swim out of there, see. We've all proved that. But it happened. Raising of Lazarus from the dead. And the greatest miracle in 2,000 years has happened in your lifetime. Most of your lifetime. The greatest miracle in 2,000 years. It's the rebirth of Israel. It's the rebirth of where, when I come back with the Lord, we'll meet everybody else. We'll come back with the Lord, with him when he comes. How do you know that? Because the Bible said that. How do you know that's going to be like the Bible said? I don't know. I don't have to know. I believe. Like, how do you know the Bible's true? I don't. I believe it. Well, how do you know you're saved? I believe that too. Well, how do you know that God's going to save your kids? Because he said so. Because he said so. Now, in closing, another thing that faith does, turn to James chapter 2, because it's got to do this, and this is where people, if they don't hear what we're saying, they watch us. The demonstration of our faith, because faith is an act. It's a confession. And it's an action. It's an obedient response to God. Faith is how you choose to live, and the world cannot, C-A-N-N-O-T, the world cannot understand it and get used to that because they're going to deny you as you deny them, their way versus God's way. James chapter 2 and verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that's the world's man, 
Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Listen to a couple of translations. Now, do you really want to understand, you foolish man, how it is that faith without actions leads to nothing? You can say you have faith, but he goes on in here and say, if you don't have works, you have nothing. Another translation says, but are you willing to recognize, O empty person, that such faith without such works is dead? All of us are required to walk by faith. All of us. It's the only acceptable life to God. It was never easy. It wasn't intended to be easy. It is the life that will separate the sheep from the goats and the wheat from the tares. It's a simple life called faith. There are those who will. There are those who won't. There will be many who try to enter in but will not be able because something in this life that they cannot let go of will keep them out. And so it's a choice that we have to make. Are you willing to live on God's terms? Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to depend on him, look to him for all the things that he's promised to do? See, God says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And this is what you do to show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we do. We're Christians. Amen. Now, in closing, you can close your Bibles. Are you really willing in your life to be a fool for Christ? Are you willing to pay the price that the world says makes you foolish? The choice is forever ours. And nobody can make that choice for you. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word, for the privilege of being a fool for Christ, for the honor of being persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the testimony that you've given to us, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I pray for these that are here today, those who are listening and watching via this live streaming, that you will alert us while we can understand to any flaws and weaknesses in our lives that we need to deal with, that we would have courage, as you told Joshua, be very courageous. And then you said, it shall be well with you. We want that, dear Lord. May grace in greater measure find its way into our hearts. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. And as we approach the communion table, the bread and the cup, we would examine our hearts this morning to see where we are, see where our life is and who Jesus really is to us. Bless this moment together in Jesus' name. Amen.